0: Well, good morning. We are so glad that you're here this morning. I feel very loud up here, Dave, and I'm naturally very loud anyway. So if we could bring that down a notch, just bring the house down, that would be great. Um, I am super excited to be here this morning. Worship was so good this morning. I forgot that we did like announcements and took a connection break. I was just ready to go. I don't know if you saw me come up here, and I was like, "Well, this is awkward. I don't know where I'm at." But uh, my mom just showed me. Uh, the Green County mail out from the Green County Baptist Association, uh, and I have been the pastor of Cross Point. There's a message of congratulations. I've been a, 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 a me- uh, the pastor at Cross Point for five years now, and if you, well, thank you. If you, if you feel. Uh, bad about not knowing, don't, because it's the first I'm hearing about it also. So she's like, you get the mail, all right? I'm like, yeah, I get it every week and tell how much I read it. Sorry, Green County Badger Association, because I didn't see my name in there in giant letters. But uh, you know, Grant's story about football before we get started, it's not unique to Grant, uh, unfortunately. I, too, am a football coach and Uh, We have another middle school football coach in the room with Mike Brooks as well, and they'll tell you that being a Christian and loving Jesus and being a middle school football coach gives you some very unique opportunities to practice patience and compassion and love those you really don't want to love at times. So uh, it's pretty interesting, pretty interesting. Um, You know, we are talking about this week being imperfectly perfect imperfectly perfect. Now, what does that mean? There's a repetitive theme in Jesus' ministry where he calls those and uses those who don't exactly seem to be an ideal option. Like they wouldn't be first choice. You look at them and you think, yeah, I don't know about that decision. But Jesus chose them anyways. He called them anyways. He saw something within them and said, that's the person that I want to use. That's the person that I'm going to call into my service. And today we look at the disciples and the perfection and their imperfections, but also how that reflects on us. And the fact that in our imperfections, in the things that we would look at and think, man, that would really disqualify me from serving the Lord. We actually find a perfect way to serve other people and a perfect way to serve God. And that's one of the, the miracles, I think, that exists in Christianity and the miracles that exist in following God is that he takes those things that naturally we might be a little embarrassed about, naturally we might be a little bit ashamed of, and he says, no, no, no you can use those things to further the kingdom of God. And that's what we see in the story of the disciples, and that's what we see in our own lives as well. I certainly see it in mine. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 today. We're going to be starting in verses 5 and going through 8. And it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Right, And so, The message that Jesus has for these 12 that he's called out who, uh, as I said, were probably not what you would first look at and and have uh, this feeling of, yeah, this is my dream team, right? Like this is the group of MVPs that I'm sending out to represent me and to represent God the Father. Uh, But as we see this story and we look at the other parallel passage in the Gospels, uh, a couple things come to mind that, that are a little bit important. One, Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs, right? Nobody is a Lone Island. We kind of talked about that, right, in week one. We, we are meant to kind of live this life together. And so he sent people out with the support of others. It's really hard to do ministry if you're trying to do it on your own. It's really hard to try to be a witness for God if you're doing that on your own. You need a support system. And he gave them a very specific message and very specific instructions. Now, the message was pretty simple, but it had the uh, potential of having a, a profound impact. And the message was this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he sent this message first. This first envoy that he sends out is to the Jews because this is what they've been waiting for. This is the moment that they're following God, their relationship with God has been leading to the Messiah. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he sends his disciples out to this very specific group of people and he says, share this message. Basically, the message is what you've been waiting for, it's here. What you've been waiting for, it's here. And he, he kind of says, hey, listen, if, if people receive the message when you deliver the message, then they'll receive a blessing. The blessing will be on the people. Your long-awaited king has arrived, and you can prove this message. What's the proof of the disciples' message? The miraculous, the miraculous. The sick would be healed, the dead would be raised, the lepers cleansed, demons cast out. And as a testament to the God they serve, This is to be a free gift of grace, right? As he says, you received without having to pay, they should too. This is grace. This is a gift. This is a gift that you are bringing and giving to the people. And when they were sent out, I think is of special interest to all of us because they are not men who have been through years of training. They are not men who are experts in the scriptures and in the laws. They are men that were just up until very recently fishermen and craftsmen and a few tax collectors. They weren't necessarily ready for this type of responsibility other than the fact that God had deemed that it was so. Other than the fact that Jesus had called and said, I am sending you out on your own now, and you will share this message that you have received from me. Now, they certainly didn't have all the answers. They certainly didn't have all the answers, but they did have three things. They had hope, they were willing, and they were faithful. They had hope, they were willing, and they were faithful. And beyond that, those three things, they also had something else. They had their experiences. They had their experiences. Now, that's where we talk about the perfection in our imperfections. You see, every single one of us has some blemishes on our records. We have some, some things that we feel like maybe make us less than, or things in our life that just have made life difficult, right? I have been very open in my past about my struggles in my life, maybe more so than as a pastor I should be, but I only know one way to do this, and that's to be honest, right? I've been an addict. I've been a drug addict. I've been an addict to porn, okay? I, I, I've had those things. I, I have treated people like commodities, right? Like, like things to be used, not as precious creations of a living God. I have dealt with depression and anxiety at a clinical level. I have been medicated for it. I have had to go to counseling for it. I have things that in my life and in my past have made me at times less than stable. I don't know how else to say that. And I can point to lots of other things and lots of other faults and lots of other flaws in my character that would make me uniquely unqualified for the position that I have been called to be in. But because of God, each one of those things has been turned into a gift. Because I have been an addict, I can witness to addicts. I can empathize with addicts. Because I know what it means to be depressed and anxious, I can uniquely witness to those who have been depressed and anxious. Because I have made myself at times the center of the universe, I can deal with those and witness to those who have made themselves the center of their universe. Each one of you has a story that is unique to you that I can't relate with, but others can. And those things that we look at and we think, man, I shouldn't be sent out. I shouldn't be ministering to anybody. I shouldn't be witnessing to anybody. That shouldn't be my job. God the Father and Christ the Son are able to turn those things into gifts that make us uniquely qualified and able to love the world around us. We are a bunch of misfit toys. But together, Together we have the ability to bring joy to the world like a toy brings joy to a child. We have that ability and I thank God for that because I am not my mistakes, I am not my scars, I am not the things in life that others would define me as. I'm what God says I am. I'm what God says I am. We have people all over the room, like I said, you're, you're dealing with disease and heartache and addiction and frustrations and mental illnesses and just we could come up and we could list them. And I have a feeling that we could just fill the walls with the things that we are dealing with in life right now, which are too much for us, which have defeated us, which have led us to make less than Christ-like decisions. And yet, Christ looks at you and says, I can use that, I can use that. I'm calling you, I'm sending you. So, if we have hope, if we're willing, and if we're faithful, then our stories can change the world as we know it. We're going to look at three scriptures. The first is 1 Peter 5.2. And in 1 Peter 5.2, these words are actually written to the elders of a church body. But I think the principle that we see in this verse applies to all of us. Like all of us can, can glean something from this. Does that make sense? We can take it and we can apply it to our lives. And, and we're actually going to read 1 Peter 5.2 and 3. I, I don't think I put three up there, so don't freak out about that. But 1 Peter 5.2 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then verse three, which I forgot to tell them about. Sorry, guys, says not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, this verse hit me hard this week specifically as it relates to me being a coach right because and a teacher at times right because it's a difficult job i mean it's both of them they're hard to deal with because kids by definition no offense children aren't that intelligent <laughs> now wow. i'm not talking about natural abilities i'm not talking yeah you know, that's not what i'm talking about but i'm just saying kids by definition are supposed to make mistakes. I mean, that's what makes them kids, right? When I was a kid, and I'm still kind of close to that, not in age, but in <laughs> spirit, I did lots of dumb things, right? Lots of them, lots of them. And we in the world, we deal with that all the time. We are surrounded by people that make decisions that we would not make, decisions that primarily and initially we might be a little judgmental of, right? That we're just like, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. That doesn't make any sense enough, right? Like, you feel like, what is happening right now? But we're called to shepherd the flock that's among us, right? Not to pick and choose and here are my precious and here are the ones I want to avoid, right? We, we are called to, to minister to those that are with us, and we're supposed to exercise this oversight and encouragement and teaching, not out of compulsion, not because we have to, not because God has called us to, or not because we're getting a paycheck, but because we, we are supposed to do so out of the love that we have for them in our hearts. Because if we look at the flip side of that relationship, those people to us are what we are to God. Where he looks at us and he's like, why are you doing that? Again, like, stop, right? Stop. But yet, what do we receive from him over and over? We have grace and we have compassion. And we're supposed to treat others in that way. And not for shameful gain, right? Not for notoriety, not to charge. We're not supposed to be like, you want some playing time, five bucks, right? Or, hey, you have a B, you want it to be an A? Looks like somebody's going to be giving me lunch for a week, right? Like, that's crazy. We're not supposed to do this because somehow it benefits us. No, we're supposed to do it because it benefits others. We're supposed to be willingly servants of God and servants of other people because that's what God wants from us. Not domineering, not being in charge, and not putting our thumb down on people just because we can but leading by example to our flock. I find it interesting, but not surprising, that the instruction given here is the same instruction that God gave to Peter when Peter had denied him three times. He shows back up, and what's he say to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And what's his response? Shepherd my flock. If we love God, then we will love others, and we will shepherd others others and we aren't supposed to seek anything for ourselves because we haven't had to give anything of ourselves to receive the grace that we've received from God and then in mark sixteen fifteen, it says he said to them go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation see the disciples hope just like our hope was in Jesus it was in the good news that they had had and that good news was free to all and their task was a simple one to wherever they went in the world, share this good news, share this hope. If you come across someone who possibly hasn't heard this, then be that envoy for them. Be the person that shares that hope. And then in 1 Peter 4.19, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Because here's the other thing the disciples had to wrap their heads around. This was not going to be some perfect, easy journey. Suffering takes place so often in the form of persecution. But still they must continue their mission. Because suffering was the destiny of Christ. And yet he still, all the way to the cross, loved those around him. So like the disciples, we can't let the fear of rejection prohibit our message from being delivered. Nor can we let rejection change our message in any way. Can't happen. Let's listen to the rest of the instructions. Verse 11 through 15 in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter a house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What is Jesus trying to tell them? What he's trying to tell them is that some will hear your message and they will outright reject it. And some will hear your message, and because of your message, they will reject you. But that is not our concern. And I don't know if you're like me, but I like when people like me. I just do. I want to be liked. Now, I am fully aware, fully aware, that I am not everyone's cup of tea. I get that. But generally... I would enjoy people to at least be able to be around me and not squirm. And if it's just possible, like me, right? And that fear of rejection, that fear of not being liked so often in life has held me back from doing things I know that I need to do because if I do them, then I might face that rejection, if I do them, then then somebody possibly might just think poorly of me. And so I haven't done great things that I should do a lot of times in my life because I just don't want the perception to change. And so often, we aren't worried about whose perception we're really focused on, if that makes sense. We're not focused on the right person's perception, right? That's what I needed to say. We should be focused on what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus think about my actions? But instead we're worried about Tom, Fred, and Larry and Georgina. I don't know. Hopefully it sounded like a name, right? When I was in high school, my freshman year, uh, at Hillcrest, we used to have Spanish in the annex, and it was like a separate building. You had to walk out the front doors and walk up the hill to the annex. That's where Spanish was. So I'm on my way my freshman year to Spanish, and as I'm walking down the path, and just so you know, I've been this size since about s- middle of sixth grade, okay? Th- that's a key part of the story. So as I'm walking up to Spanish, there is a special needs student standing in the middle of two bullies who are just real you know what? Okay? They just all, there's no other nice way to say it. And they have this kid's Dr. Pepper. And this kid, he's low. I mean, he's low. Like, He hasn't done anything to harm anyone at any point in his life. Still to this day, I promise you. He's just around. And the kid loved vending machines. Loved them. Loved to put his coins in the vending machine and get something back out of them. And kids used to think it was hysterical I remember this, it makes my skin crawl because I wish I'd, I, literally wish I just would have went on a rampage and beat everybody up. I'm not even lying. Like if I could go back in time, that's how, how I would have chosen to handle this. But they used to just like throw quarters on the floor in the student center and watch them run after them and they'd all giggle. Meanwhile, the kid's probably a millionaire now because he never let a coin go. Okay? Like he, I guarantee you, he was sitting there all thinking, oh, look at this goofball. And he's thinking, look at these idiots. Right? Like he's just loaded. But he has this Dr. Pepper and they took it from him and I don't know why they're doing it other than the fact that they were probably miserable human beings themselves and just wanted somebody else to feel miserable. And they're tossing this Dr. Pepper back and forth over his head. Now I stopped. I took the Dr. Pepper and I gave it back to him, right? No. I kept walking. It's one of those things. It is a... uh, formative memory in my mind because I was a coward that day. I saw somebody in need and I could have done something about it and I didn't because I was worried about what everybody else around me would think. I was kind of popular for a freshman and I had older friends and I didn't want to stand up for him because what if that turned to me what if I lost my status, and what if they started picking on me? Now, I was a 13, 14-year-old kid. I, Again, by definition, I wasn't very intelligent, even though at that point in time I would have told you I was very intelligent. And it's a decision that I regret to this day. If a time machine is ever invented, I'm going back. I'm just telling you, I'm going to show those kids what's up. It's part of the reason why I became a special education teacher. It's part of the reason why I'm still an advocate for those students, even though I teach social studies. But in a moment, when I had an opportunity to change someone's life for the better, I took the easy way out. And I know it's maybe not super easy to see the connection to us as Christians when we're supposed to be sharing the gospel, but... We have the opportunity every single day when we come across a person we don't know to really change their life. To, to be a moment of hope and compassion and love. If we would just step out and say in that time, there's something better. There's something better, there's good news, there's hope. And I don't know if you'll agree with me, and I don't know how you'll feel about it, but I just want to share that hope with you because it has literally changed my life. And that's what Jesus asked the disciples to do. He knew they weren't experts. He knew they weren't teachers in the law. They had been around Him for a while, and and, and ha- some of it He was hoping, I'm sure, had rubbed off on them. But they needed three things. They needed the hope that he had offered them. They needed to be willing to go. And they needed to be perseverant in faith to just do the job even though it was uncomfortable. And if people accept your message, then great, stay with them and teach them and share that love. And if they don't, then you know what? At least you delivered a message of truth and love and compassion. Shake the dust off your sandals and move on knowing you did the right thing. We can't let what might happen influence what can happen. Because maybe they'll reject you. Maybe they'll persecute you. Or maybe their life will be changed forever and ever and ever. And maybe the seed you plant in them will grow into something that blossoms so beautifully that it casts shade and life to all those around them. We can't let the response we receive change the way that we treat people. We are called to love. So when we are rejected, if we are rejected, and we will be rejected, we shake the dust off our sandals, we say a prayer for that person, and we don't, give up hope because lives can forever and always in an instant at any moment at any age in any place or any location be forever changed and we somehow some way because of Jesus despite all of our imperfections get to be a part of that journey. And I find that to be perfect. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now in this moment and in this day, and Lord, I just thank you for the fact that we are able as imperfect human beings to receive forgiveness, that we are able as imperfect human beings to still be used for your glory. God, we live in this and under this umbrella of shame, where we beat ourselves up and we are beaten up by others for the mistakes that we make. And God, I wish that that wasn't so. I wish that over the years, the church had done a better job of being forgiving, of being less than judgmental, of treating sin as a condition that belongs to the sick, as being able to empathize with others when they're in those places. God, as a church body, we want to be a place that's safe for those struggling with sin. We want to be a place that's open and willing to hear the stories of others And respond with compassion and with grace. Lord, help us to take the hope that has been given to us that is beyond what we deserve and share that hope with the rest of the world around us. Help us to be faithful even in those times when we struggle to be, when frankly, God, we don't want to be. Lord, may everything that we have in our possession, the good, the bad, and the ugly, be used to serve you and bring glory to the kingdom of God. Give us the strength Call us. Make us willing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. If there's something that's going on in your life right now and you need to pray with somebody, please come pray with me. I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. Shane, can I have you kind of just stand over in that direction? And Joy, would you mind kind of coming over here? If you don't want to pray with me, Shane's over to the left side and Joy's in the back there. Go pray with one of them. If there's somebody sitting next to you, I guarantee you if you ask for them to pray with you, they absolutely will. But if there's something going on in your life and you need prayer for that something, come see me, come see me, okay? Or come see one of them, let's pray. Let's lift that thing up to God right now. Let's ask for him to intervene. Let's ask for him to move because I am faithful, he is faithful, and I am confident that that faithfulness remains. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's not your personal Lord and savior, if you don't even know what that means, and you're like, I don't even know what that means, come talk to me about that today. At any point, whether it be now or after service, there's nothing more important than establishing that relationship with him and turning your life over to him. Otherwise, this is a moment, just like every Sunday, this is a moment for you to reflect, for you to worship, for you to praise. Let's do all of that now.